for it's one, two, three strikes, you're out at the old ball game. Welcome back to Short Hops and Tall Tales, a pitcherless podcast highlighting the romantic elements of baseball that make America's pastime special. Uh, once again, I'm Noah Scott here with my co-host Brandon Riddle, and it's just us today. Uh, we figured we're we're going to take things back to basics for the week. You know, give you a chance to get to know us a little better as hosts. We just figured we were so entertaining by ourselves that the third guest is just <laughs> unnecessary at this point. So. Brandon, uh, <laughs> Brandon, he he came to me before we recorded this and said, "Hey." I want to push out the guest. I want to. I want to get rid of him. <laughs> uh, taking too much of the limelight lime light away from me. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> no, we love uh, all the guests. Please come back. <laughs> yes. Yes. We love our guests. Um, but yeah, apart from that, formula is going to be about the same. We're going to bounce around with uh, some weird baseball stories, uh, have a bit of a freeform conversation, and uh, otherwise have a good time. Sweet. Now, basic rundown of our episode for today. Brandon is going to kick things off with a wiffle ball story that I don't ha- I, I don't know anything about. Uh, then we're going to talk about weird injuries because I was inspired uh, by Spencer Torkelson. Uh, he had well, we'll get to that. You know, weird injuries just <laughs> happened. Uh, then we're going to go back into our segment, ain't that something, uh, with Brandon. Then back to the pickle jar. Going to talk about the term cup of coffee, and then if we have time, we're going to talk about some of our favorite baseball movies. Uh, so that just about rounds it out for today. Uh, now, Brandon, what w- what's the deal with wiffle ball? Uh, <sighs> well, clue me in here. Well, when when you were growing up, or maybe still, I don't know, did you play any kind of baseball games that didn't involve an actual baseball? Whether that be like a wiffle ball or a cap or anything else like that? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. My yeah. Yeah, so did he use the wiffle balls that had the holes all over the ball or the ones with the elongated holes at like the top or bottom of the ball? So remember I remember those? I remember we had two. We had some of them with the uh, the like kind of like more slots, right, than, mm-hmm. than holes. Uh, we had those. We had the ones with holes. And then we had also had like one that was supposed to help you throw like curveballs or something easier. And it had like a band oh. around the center uh, that yeah. you could rotate and it would cover up holes that was kind of cool. Yeah, kids, this is how you throw your arm out. And you inevitably do because it's so much fun. Um, but yeah, so I usually played with the with ball with the elongated hole at the top there. And that's when you could really get some good movement on the balls. And, you know, in high school, we thought we were good stuff. I mean, we're coming in hot with us with balls. We're giving each other chid music. We're making it go all these crazy different directions. And we were doing great. And so we would play at least once a week, I would think, whether it's like outside in the street or go into a park or something like that. And then after, you know, right after the height of our wiffle ball powers, when we thought we were great, uh, my buddy Richard and I, uh, we get a job out in New Hampshire to go work at a camp. And looking at pictures of this camp, they had a wiffle ball stadium. They had dugouts. They had actual walls and fences brought way in. They had a mound for wiffle ball. This was like Mecca. This was dedicated to wiffle ball. It wasn't like like a baseball yeah. field or no. It wasn't like a softball field or like a small spongy ball field. I don't know what spongy balls cool. are, but it was just wiffle ball, and this was amazing to us. So of course we get ourselves ready. We go out to this job, and the first thing on our mind isn't to like introduce ourselves or to do X Y Z. We're gonna go play wiffle ball on this majestic stadium, and I'm ready. I'm ready to go. I'm so excited to finally be on this beautiful diamond. I get up, first pitch, he rocks me. He goes deep 
over the mini green monster they had. And this was about an hour or two outside of Boston. So they had a mini green monster rocked me over the wall. Like, okay, just get my jitters out. <laughs> well, did it again. Rocked me again. First inning, six home runs off me. Wow. I think, okay, maybe it's the altitude. I don't know. It's by the ocean. I don't know how that works because I'm 20. And then I get up to bat with every single time. And unfortunately, there is no story of redemption here. It's just the time I got so excited to play on a stadium football and got completely destroyed. And just got destroyed. Yeah. And you know what? I, I have actually not played football since. <laughs> That that was like Brad. It's like my Brad Lidge Albert Pujols moments. I just could not play wiffle ball after that. <laughs> Honestly, like kudos to your teammates for you know sticking with you after after five solo home runs in the first oh, inning. Goodness. Yeah, Yikes, that, that was that was rough on them. <laughs> yeah, so, well done, Richard. Well, once again, <laughs> a lot of respect for coming out and sharing that uh that 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 wiffle ball experience. Uh, Quite the slump on both sides of the ball. Um, <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And now with that, we're going to go into a bit of some some trivia uh, before we go into our next segment. So name the first player born in the 1990s to appear in a major league game. So I, I feel we should read the rest of that as well, because this one kind of might help a little bit. Oh, you want the hint? Okay. Yeah, give, so, give us the hint. To make it easier, he tied a record uh, held by many by belting a home run in his first at-bat and drove in a first-game record six runs. So the first thing I try to think of is, okay, 1990, so they are 31 max right now. So I'm trying to think of players around 31 years old who came up at an early age. Um, So my first thought is someone like Justin Upton, who might be 31, might be a little bit older, uh, but he came up as a 19-year-old. So that would be right in there. but I'm not sure if it's Upton. Hmm, what do you think? Maybe like, like Jason Hayward, maybe. Uh, Jason Hayward, that's another good one. Hmm. Yeah, I, I don't think Upton's first at bat was a home run, though. I think Jason Hayward hit a home he run. Ha- he his has, first he's, at bat. I think I remember. Oh, remember watching it. That's a good. That's a good bet then. Well, I guess I'm going to unhide the answer here, uh, and it's Starling Castro. That. I mean, that checks out, right? I, I remember he was a big rookie coming up. Uh, and yeah, it says he was called up uh, May 7th, 2010, and was the first major league player born in the 1990s. Gotcha. Yeah, see, Justin Upton was born in 87. My ah, bad, Justin. Yeah. Close, close. Uh, I do remember Starling Castro coming up, though, and wasn't he was an all-star pretty quickly, I, I want to say, or I remember he had a very hot start to his career. Yeah, I mean, obviously, six runs in one game probably gets a vote pretty quick, especially coming up for the Cubs. I'm going to do a quick... Uh, yeah, no, so so Starlin Castro was actually an all-star in 2011 and 2012, uh, 2014 as well. So very strong start to his career with the Cubs. Uh, big high average guy. So very, very entertaining infielder from what I can remember. Oh, he's still Not playing. That. Don't get me wrong. He's still playing. He's with the Nets. Well, yeah, he's, he's obvious, but he's, you know, not... Not Starling Castro of that's of, true, you know. Yeah, he's a, uh, still get, get, very very solid player. Getting up there in age, you know. Once you get past thirty, it's all downhill, guys. <laughs> Don't tell me that. <laughs> oh, sweet summer <laughs> well, child. You know, along those lines, uh, you know, getting old. We're gonna now talk about some weird injuries. So I was, like I mentioned earlier, kind of inspired 
by the story that I read uh, last week or so uh, with Spencer Torkelson, the highly touted prospect. He actually sliced his finger trying to open a can without a can opener. And he had this great quote and he said, well, you know, what was I supposed to do? Like the boys were hungry uh, referring to his roommates. So that kind of sent me on a little bit of a, of a <laughs> spiral in a sense. I was just remembering some other weird injuries that have happened. Uh, and I just kind of, you know, I threw them into a list and I kind of want to go through them and Brandon, you know, kind of see which ones were maybe your favorite. I got a couple. (laughs) What you can, what you can remember. Now, the first one I do remember, this was horrible. Obviously all no injury is a good injury. Some are just a little more, uh, funny. I'm not, I'm not going to even say funny, but just a little, it's, it's just wild, I guess how they happen. Uh, anyway, but I remember Kendrick Morales uh, when he hit that walk off grand slam and he jumped mm-hmm. on home plate and broke his leg. Like I remember like that was unbelievable to me at the time. And that immediately like now I cringe every time I see somebody, you know, hit a home yeah. run and then do a big celebration similar to or, that. Or or even like when the players are mobbing the people and they're giving like little gut punches or like after World Series <laughs> piling on. Like it's a wonder somebody's not getting stabbed in the eye in the cleat sometimes. Or yeah. stabbing. Yeah, that's, I said well, right. Well, you, you <laughs> even have Cody Bellinger in 2020 when he hit his really pivotal home run in game seven of the NLCS and he comes home and he does this big like bicep bump with Kike Hernandez. Oh and then goodness. immediately he, diso- his, he dislocates his shoulder, right? And so like if luckily it wasn't a major injury uh, at the time and he was able to play the World Series, but that would have been wild if he hits this pivotal home run and then just, you know, that's it, right? Oh, goodness. But that's, I feel like, you know, those are on-field injuries. I feel like those are more like freak accidents than, you know, really weird <laughs> kind of like, I can't believe this happened type deals. Right. So I just mentioned uh, Spencer Torkelson. There's a lot of stories about people who have hurt themselves, like, you know, cooking or washing dishes, or like sleeping uh, even <laughs> or sleeping even. Yeah, there is uh, one of this one's kind of funny. It's Brett Barbary, 1994, actually missed a game after he rubbed chili juice into his eyes. And I wouldn't say funny, but that's just more relatable in a sense, because I feel like that's something that everyone's at least almost done. Uh, and luckily, you know, just missed a game, but I feel like that's something that I could definitely see happening in my life. Sometimes it's like, I feel I can miss a game if I just cut onions. I'm out for the day. Yeah. (laughs) But chili chili juice, it's not chili powder. It's chili juice. So yeah, that's brutal. I get it. Um, One, one, one of my favorite off field injuries, uh, sorry, not one of my favorite, I guess that's the wrong thing to say. Um, Yes. One of my most, we're not cheering for these injuries. Of course not. (laughs) Well, well, yeah, we'll get to those. But um, <laughs> uh, one of my more memorable injuries happened in uh, 2005 uh, is with the Rockies. So this was uh, Todd Helton is, you know, kind of entering the twilight of his career at this point. And he is very much like the Todd father of that team. You know, what he says goes, he's the old guy who was an all-star MVP calendar and I think should be in the Hall of Fame. And so he had some sway in the clubhouse. And his sway fell on, uh, I think he was a shortstop or second baseman, Clint Barnes. And Todd Helen asked him to um, bring up some deer meat. And Clint Barnes says, of course, yeah, right away. So he picks up the deer meat. He falls and breaks his collarbone. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's I, that's something. You know, this guy gives you deer meat as yeah. you know, a gift and it just, you know, you end up slipping and falling. Because that's, yeah. that's just embarrassing for, for Clint, too. 
right? Well, unless it was like a, an entire deer that being Todd Helton. It, maybe yeah. it was just a couple slices or a whole thing. Let's yeah. say it's two whole deers he's taken up to fly the stairs. Make it sound a little more impressive. <laughs> and kind of along those lines in the, I guess, realm of the animal kingdom, uh, Cespedes in 2018 when I remember he had that big injury. He was recovering from a surgery and then it broke that he like had a setback because he broke his ankle in a violent fall. Uh, but then later it was revealed that it was actually a boar encounter and they actually had to restructure his contract. But I don't know if he was hunting boars or what happened, but that was one of the more bizarre headlines that came out of the 2018 season. And and Cespa, this is just one of those players that has odd headlines coming in after each other, like just disappearing and not coming back into the wilderness, things like that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, But I feel like, I feel like we haven't even really cracked, obviously the boar story. That's pretty weird, but I think, I think it's even gotten weirder in the last, last few years, uh, especially as technology has kind of developed. So one of my favorite stories is how John Smoltz allegedly uh, in 1990, he burned his chest while ironing ironing a shirt that he was actually wearing. Now I say allegedly (laughs) because he vehemently denies it, which I think is obvious because I I I think we would all do. (laughs) Yeah. If I burned myself wearing while wearing the shirt, like I would be embarrassed about that too. So it may or may not have happened. I think it's a great story. And kind of at the, at the same time, uh, I hear a lot of stories of athletes who, you know, have basically been put put on pedestals the entire career from high school on that don't necessarily know how to do simple tasks, like opening cans of tuna, for example, or ironing a shirt. So a lot of these guys may just be making it up as they go because they just never had to before they go on the road somewhere or something like that. So there's some, maybe it's okay, John, that you did that because maybe you weren't used to it. But yeah, man, it's, it's hot metal. Don't put it on you. Honestly, I think these a lot of these are basic life skills. Nobody should burn themselves by ironing a shirt. I'm not going to cut him. You know, I'll cut him the slack that, you know, he's denying it. So maybe it didn't happen. But I think if it mm-hmm. if it did, there's not a lot of excuses. Uh, one one injury that that kind of similarly for me was Trevor Bauer in 2016 mm-hmm. uh, when he actually sliced open his pinky finger while you know playing around with his drone and they're actually like riding that huge hot streak into the playoffs uh, and they actually as people remember they got to game seven of the world series against the cubs and right before the alcs started he's tinkering with his drone uh and he actually cuts <laughs> his his pinky open on his pitching hand and then he suddenly Cleveland loses one of their their aces uh, for the playoffs, uh, you know, at least for that round, because Trevor Bauer comes in, tries to pitch and he can't pitch because he's bleeding all over the ball because his stitches won't hold. And that I remember was one of the big face palm moments oh, yeah. where it's like, dude, like it's the playoffs. Your team actually has, you know, their contenders this year and you're a key member of the of the team. And then. I feel like that I, I'm wondering if, if drones are written in his contracts going forward now. Um, but yeah, that was one that I thought was kind of, kind of ridiculous. Goodness, yeah. Um, so when, when he first mentioned the weird injuries, we both thought of the exact same injury and we're going to save that for last. Cause I'm sure other people thought this exact one. Uh, but there was just a, a few others I wanted to mention as well. Uh, back in, I think it was 87 uh, Ricky Henderson, kept an ice pack on his foot and fell asleep in the middle of August and he got frostbite and missed three, day, three games. <laughs> so that's, that, 
that was a good I feel one. like that's that's understandable though because sometimes you put ice on and you're very relaxed and that's true. Ricky obviously, you know, he his feet were on fire from stealing bases. Oh, look at every you. Day, right? Nice. So I I feel like that's understandable. Mm-hmm. Like and that's the thing is I feel like a lot of these could happen to I'm not going to say anybody. I'm not going to burn my chest with a, 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 an iron, but I feel like a lot of it, it's just horrible luck in a lot of ways. Like Madison Bumgarner, when he sprained his shoulder, you know, he's, he's just riding his dirt bike on his day off. And obviously the reaction at the time was that's irresponsible. It's during the season, but, and don't get me wrong. I'll criticize Madison Bumgarner for being a grouchy old man all, all day, <laughs> but you know, he's, he's a veteran, you know, he's, he's used to riding dirt bikes. He's a, he does rodeo, right. And it was just, just huh. happens that he falls now yeah he obviously should have been doing that in the off season but that's just bad luck because i i know he's a he's you know and done that for his whole life i would actually chalk that up right next to trevor bauer's drone incident because bauer is extremely familiar with drones and did a that's commonplace true. thing and messed up so maybe during the season you know don't do rodeos and dirt bikes and drones <laughs> or maybe do it early enough in the season to where it's not going to become an issue for playoffs <laughs> yeah, if true. you're gonna do it <laughs> Um, so we mentioned people falling asleep. Uh, Marley Cordova in 2002 fell asleep in a tanning bed and badly sunburned his face, missing a couple games there. Uh, and then um, even the great Roberto Clemente, um, he was sleeping in a hammock, woke up, rolled out of it, and then rolled several yards downhill, causing him back pain to miss games in that season oh. as well. I know. And then there was another player, I forget his name, uh, but he was having a nightmare of a spider attacking him, causing him to jump up and like injure his back. <laughs> oh, back injuries are, are serious. Uh-huh. Like, like just, and they can come from pretty much anywhere. I remember Brandon Morrow right after signing that, that big deal with the Cubs in 2018, he heard his back just trying to take his pants off at night. Uh, so <laughs> they can really strike from anywhere. Yeah. I got one last, I'll, I want to say, okay. then I'll give you the reins back. Uh, this okay. one is, Almost like a legend happening in 1923. The name is Clarence Blethen. Great name. Right, Clarence Blethen, A-plus name. Uh, so he had dentures, and people told him he looked scary when he took the dentures out. So he thought he would be intimidating in the batter's box, and he took his dentures out, stuffed in his back pocket, and to look like a mean mug in the pitcher. So anyway, he gets a hit, and he's around the first base, and he goes in the slide for second. Uh, but the dentures in his back pocket close really hard, and they bite him in the the butt the butt there, and he got so bloody they had to take him out of the game based off him biting his own butt. That is ridiculous, and I can't believe you know 1923 he didn't get a wa- like a, a wild nickname from this incident. You know how, how are you gonna let your own dentures bite you in the butt? Like that's. I think that's it's funny. I think it's, it's also funny that he thought it was intimidating to. <laughs> right. And to, to I, I just think of like the old guy that I forget his name from um, Courage, the Cowardly Dog, the, the grandpa yeah. with the no teeth. I think of him. He's not intimidating. He's yeah. just cuddly. Yeah. yeah. And then finally, to wrap it up, uh, this is the one that Brandon and I earlier, when we talked about doing the segment, we immediately went straight to the same the same injury it's uh joel zamaya 20 or 2006 he actually hurt his right wrist in his rookie season uh so quick sidebar joel zamaya for those of you that that don't know he threw 100 miles an hour when everyone was not throwing 100 miles an hour absolute beast he was amazing he was a beast he could throw like like think of araldus chapman like like that level of an arm but back in like 2006 and this was like almost at the height of the detroit tigers power as well yeah right yeah 
Yeah, and and he was this big hotshot rookie, and he ends up yeah hurting his right wrist playing Guitar Hero of all things. Oh. Now, don't get me wrong, I love Guitar Hero. Played the, the, the all three Guitar Heroes, you know, but he he ends up missing three games, and it's really important during the Tigers stretch run when they're you know working on getting to the playoffs, and they lose their big gun, uh, their closer out of the bullpen. But uh, yeah, I think that is that's kind of wild that he was rocking out so hard that he actually hurt his wrist <laughs> on a guitar hero play game, like using a plastic guitar. Uh, and then a, a quick follow-up to that, that is somehow funnier is that when they released the sequel guitar hero two at the end of the credits, there was a quick tagline and it said, no pitchers were harmed in the making of this game, <laughs> except for one dwells Maya. He had it coming. So Dang. I think that that's that's like the perfect, you know, if you're going to have a weird injury, I think that's that's kind of, yeah. you know, he, he got a shout out out of it in one of his favorite video games. But and now uh, he, now he can laugh at it. I assume. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully. Like I said, we're not not really trying to celebrate these injuries, but really just some of these when we we're digging through it. It's wild what, you know, what can just happen in everyday life. Right. But um, yeah, so that will take us into, hey, ain't that something? Ain't that something indeed? Hey, That'll take us into go. our next segment. Uh, Brandon, take it away with changes that baseball has attempted. Yeah, so ain't that something? So baseball, like almost every spring training, especially now, has changes they're looking to implement, um, whether it's, you know, the runners on seconds or ending games before the ninth inning, or they go to the Atlantic League to try out robo-umps or, you know, whatever it is. Um, and for the 200-ish years of baseball, there have been hundreds of rule changes. But for every rule change that's happened, there have been many more that never actually took place that were attempted at least once. This is some of their stories. <laughs> and these some of these are crazy. Uh, so, for example, uh, Chuck Finley in the 1970s, the owner of the Kansas City A's, then he moved them to the Oakland. He tried implementing a lot of rules, such as uh, in order to speed up the game, don't take any hints here, um, three ball walks. So three balls, take a base. Wow. Um, p- yeah, pitchers weren't terribly ha- happy with that, and they tried it in an exhibition game once. It ended in 19 walks. <laughs> That's 19 wild. walks and a three-hour game in spring training. No thanks. Wow! Imagine a three-hour baseball game. Could you? Who, could you right, imagine? Who could think that? But, whoa, that's weird. Um, Chuck Finley continued that when he changed the color of the bases from white to gold. Okay, that's better though. I I wouldn't be opposed to some weird-looking baseball diamonds. Yeah, I mean, especially because you had the islands there for a while. Those were big in the yeah. '60s and '70s. Um, was it Toronto? Is Toronto still have the islands, or have they gone to full infield? I think they're a full infield now. Full I think infield, it would okay. be really, it's going to be sacrilege to, to say because people are very particular about baseball diamonds, but like a, a wild kind of Boise state, you know, blue would, would oh, be goodness. interesting. Oh, yeah. yeah. It, something really garish, I think would be fun. <clears throat> and that's exactly what Chuck Finley is trying to do. He's trying to grab the attention because, you know, baseball was coming off the height to the pitchers and they're trying to get, put more offense into it to get more people watching. Um, so he is trying new things out. Uh, but gold only lasted a couple of games before the commissioner said no. Um, and then the ball itself. 
you know, has gone through so many changes as well from live ball, dead ball. Um, even in the 1860s, the players themselves actually made the ball. So the pitcher could say, I want the, I want this made of feathers or made of, you know, whatever That's else awesome. could keep the ball down. Yeah. Um, so the ball has changed. And some of the crazier balls that n- never made it to the regular season included something called the X1. Uh, this was made by Spalding just after 1968. So again, uh, when Bob Gitson had the what one point two ERA, something like that, and they lowered the mounds and decreased the strike zone to help the batters out, uh, Spalding introduced the X1 ball that turned out to be 10% bouncier than the old baseball to get an extra pop to it. That's terrifying. Yeah, so the idea was, you know, little little bloopers that the first baseman would catch would go over the head or high fly balls would carry out a little bit further. Um, instead, they became projectiles and nearly deadly. So they were used once a week uh, during spring training, and players did not like it at all. Yeah, I mean, yeah. imagine having to pitch to John Carlos Stanton oh my and the ball. I mean, they could already take your head off. That's that's terrifying. Who, who was it like uh, two year, two seasons ago or so that had batting practice during spring training with an aluminum bat? Do you remember that? It was like Aaron Judge or someone. And just like there were no one, there was no one on the field or in the stand, so he took an aluminum bat just to see how far it could wow. go. It's kind of, kind of the same idea with these X baseballs. Uh, so that was the X one, and obviously that didn't work out. And so in 1970, the following season, they tried the X five baseball. And it was called the five because it was only five percent bouncier. Again, used just in spring training. Um, but a lot of the players, a lot of them, complained that they would get somebody killed because they were just rocketing off the bats. And then as I was looking more into these ball guts, um, how they were made from the inside out, uh, they were made for cork for a while and then the rubber with some, you know, uh, material wrapped around it. And then during World War II, uh, rubber production had to stop for anything that wasn't war related. So baseball reverted from rubber back down to cork. And this was called the Balata Ball. And when this Balata Ball was in use, the league only hit 223 in 1943 when it was being used. Because they couldn't use rubber. Yeah. Uh, they uh, they bounced back uh, when they did <laughs> try some synthet- synthetics in the center of the ball to kind of rebound back with that 1943 season. But crazy time there. And uh, they also changed the color of the ball a number of times. And these are kind of fun. Um, so in 1930s, probably about 1938, I couldn't find an exact date, uh, they tried a yellow baseball. And they developed this yellow baseball after Mickey Cochran was hit in the head in 1937. So there we go. And so the league wanted to find a way to prevent these kinds of injuries or deaths in the future. Uh, So they called upon New York color engineer Frederick H. Rahr. I don't know if you say that. Color engineer. That's cool. Color engineer. Yeah. I like to think his office is like rainbows. Um, But he, he said this about why they chose the color yellow for this experiment. So we've known for a long time that yellow was the most quickly and clearly seen of all colors, especially at high speed. So traffic markers, airport markings, government specifications, anything protecting human life is yellow. So that made a lot of sense. They went with yellow. And so the first time it was used um, was the Dodgers against the Cardinals, where the Dodgers won 6-2. to um, The Cards manager said, oh, what the hell? Try him out. Because his team was doing so badly. He goes, uh, the way my players are hitting nowadays, it won't make any difference whether they use yellow balls, white balls, red, white, or blue balls. 
That's so great. That's, that's I really I wish one man or I, I miss when managers would just really just lay it all <sighs> out there for the media because I feel like like I couldn't imagine, you know, Aaron Boone going out there like, yeah, my team cannot hit, you know, just <laughs> it doesn't matter. We suck. You know, that's right. And that's funny. Once in a while, I, I would like that. Like I, I get having to toe the company line. But yeah, once in a while, I'll just say you can you can throw a, a volleyball or a beach ball. We still won't hit it. <laughs> These boys are trash. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and as uh, one at uh, the think, same game, go ahead. I think that's cool, though. I I, I, I would be open to changing the color of the ball. Yeah, I feel and like that's, that's and that's I think, interesting. I think that may still be allowed because the National League in that year uh, voted to allow teams to use that yellow ball as long as the other managers appro- approve it. Uh, but it was only used a couple more times in 1939. So I actually want to check. Um, if that rule is still in force. So one day Tori Laverlo can go up and say, Hey, what do you think about this yellow ball today? And they go, I'm in. Now I want, I think it'd be cool if maybe if, if Rob Manfred's listening to this and wants to spice of baseball, uh, introduce a money ball that <laughs> I think the, the batting team can, you know, it, it's just, you know, one pitch they, they can elect for the opposing team to throw it, but, but then it's worth like double or something. I don't know. <laughs> I can get behind but, this. Or like yeah. the ball has a little extra sensor, so it pops a little yeah. more. I don't know. Something don't know. fun. You know, let's yeah, not I kill like, a spectator. I like up the colors. I, I, yeah. I'm, I'm, with, I'm with them here. So that was 1939. If you like changing colors, you'll love Chuck Finley again. Um, so at some point, we need just an episode dedicated to Chuck Finley. He's a fascinating guy. Um, so not only did we talk about um, coloring the bases gold or the three ball walk, uh, but he also did things like uh, one of Green Bats, uh, World Series games at night. The designated hitter was his baby. Um, was he the behind X5. the Was he behind the yellow pants for the, the He was, as, as a matter of fact. Uh, yeah, okay, the, like the, the green and gold uh, from came from Chuck Finley. About him. Yeah, he wanted yeah, a way I, to you know he's got market style. the players better. Yeah, he's got style. He's got grace for the whole baseball race. He's Chuck Finley. That's too much of a reference. Um, <laughs> so no he came up what you're all, going on about. <laughs> So you got to go watch Miss Congeniality after this. Um, <laughs> anyway, so he, he came up again with the idea of the orange baseball. Once again, so players and spectators can better see the ball. And so this came up on March 29th, the A's versus Cleveland's. Whereas uh, two good pitchers were able to test these out in Catfish Hunter and Gaylord Perry. Well, Great names. Ter- Great A-plus names. It turns out the ball got a little slippery and the laces were painted the same color as the orange. So they just had to throw off-speed pitches the whole time because they couldn't get a grip on it at all. And that resulted in 27 hits, 16 runs, and 6 home runs off of two Hall of Fame players. So maybe that was an issue. (laughs) Well, what I would be interested in seeing is because... The seams are important for hitters to pick up on, yeah. you know, to differentiate pitches. How when, you know, in this example, they've got balls that the, they're all orange, the seam or the laces are, are they're orange as well. I'd be interested to see how that negatively affects the hitter at, at uh, you know, taking pitches. Yeah, because really when you think about it, red laces on the white background is like the optimal view for a, a batter. Yeah. Maybe not for a spectator when you got, you know, all these different fans in the background or, you know, an outfielder if there's a sun in the sky, but white and red, easy stuff to see. So I'm sure there have been plenty other changes that never took place, uh, but these are just some changes that uh, got a little cup of coffee 
in the majors. So what you're saying to me is stop overreacting to what the commissioner is doing in the minor leagues because it could it could be worse. Oh no, overreact. By all means, overreact. But yeah, it could be worse. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I thought I thought we had some cool ideas in here. Uh, for sure. And it, I, I don't think it's, it's ever a bad thing to try something new Absolutely unless not. it's adding a runner in extra innings. Uh, anyway, with that, it's time to move on to our next segment, the pickle jar. All right. So the pickle jar, Brandon, what's our, what's our phrase for this week? So this phrase, we got cup of coffee as in he got himself a cup of coffee, which is a confusing reference for any non-baseball fan. Um, so as always, I asked my good friend Courtney, what does a cup of coffee mean? And she is just kind of gave me a blank face. What? So I kind of explained it. So I said, like, he got himself a cup of coffee. And then she goes, well, it's kind of like a good contract. Like he got some good money on a contract deal. He got himself a cup of coffee. That's kind of a good idea. Yeah, I, I feel like that's it makes sense. And I feel like that's really the most important thing, you know, I could see that being a turn of phrase. You yeah. Know? So I ended up actually asking my mom, uh, who knows a fair bit about baseball, but is still learning some of the terminology. And so I was like, Hey, what's a cup of coffee? And I was pretty impressed with her response. And she said, you know, when a batter at the top of the lineup in the first inning crushes the first pitch and wakes up the outfield, uh, that's their co- cup of coffee. And it made sense. I yeah. thought that was a very, a good, you know, good idea when you get that lead off home run and you really mm-hmm. put everyone on notice, because I think that's one of the most exciting plays in baseball. Uh, you know, when you're barely settling into your seats, <laughs> uh, you're holding the hot dog in one of your hands, they already knock a ball out of the, out of the ballpark. So I think that is a very, very solid answer is, or a, a good guess as to what yeah. a cup of coffee is. Uh, now, really what is the, I, I, I think I, well, I know, I know what it is, but uh, right. Brandon, of course, of course, I know what it is. <laughs> the professional yeah. here. Yeah, now, but uh, why don't you give us the definition? Yeah, so according to Baseball Reference, um, it's a cup of coffee. It's a short stretch spent in the major leagues, supposedly named because that's that the player only has long enough to drink a cup of coffee before being sent back down to the minors. So he's brought up for a game, maybe he doesn't even play, maybe for a week, couple weeks, and then sent back down. So that's called getting your cup of coffee. Now, as as far as the origin goes, you know, I can't pin down the specific first time it was used. I'm sure it was used up in like the popular lexicon for a while and it made its way into baseball. Uh, but I looked for about an hour today uh, through the old newspapers and the earliest I can get uh, was a paper in 1939 talking about the fourth place Phillies. Um, and it wasn't even about a player getting a cup of coffee in the majors being sent down. Um, it was a uh, quote. It's a miracle they're playing this well, even if they only get a cup of coffee and a donuts before the tumble. So in that sense, they were talking about it's, you know, they only get a cup of coffee while at this winning percentage before they inevitably go down. And inevitably they did. They finished, I think, with 100 losses. And uh, yeah, fun fact about that season. It was there was the first season managed by Doc Prothero, um, who I found out would be the manager with the lowest winning percentage of all time. Points three zero one. So thirty wow. percent of the games he won. <laughs> Sorry, That's Doc. pretty rough. Although to be fair, I don't know much about Doc Prothero, uh, to be honest. But well, if he's coached if he was managing those those Phillies teams, uh, 
you know, 40s, 50s, 60s. That's they had a, a rough stretch there in the in the 20th century. I mean, they're while. the first franchise to reach 10,000 losses. <laughs> yeah, and I think the only one still, right? Um, probably. I mean, no other sport has really played that many games for that long. Maybe like probably the still the Phillies. Something. I'm not sure. Yeah. Uh, cool. So yeah, that, that was Doc. So well, I thought it'd be fun to kind of go over some notable players that had the cup of coffee in the majors. Um, you know, I think the most famous one due to the field of dreams is Archibald Moonlight Graham. Of course, he played with the 1905 Giants. He entered in the bottom of the eighth inning just as a defensive sub, and he was due at fourth in the ninth inning. And of course, the Giants go one, two, three. So he's left on deck without ever getting a hit or at bat to the majors and never does again. So that's probably the most famous one just because yeah. of the movies. Mm hmm. Um, there are a couple others I found were fascinating, like Ron White, who played in 2002 with the Seattle Mariners. Um, to this point, he had played eight years in the minors, so he definitely put it in this time. And in his one and only game against the Rangers, he put up a negative 0.1 war in one game, which is impressive. How did he do that, you might ask? Well, in his first pitch, he K'd on three pitches looking. Okay, that happens. On his second at bat, he hit into a triple play. Okay. And then the third at bat, he hit into a double play. Oh, man. So three at bats, got himself six outs. That's how you Poor put guy. a negative war in a single game. <laughs> and then he never played another game after that. He retired in 2004, still in the minors. Ah, oh, that's so, brutal. Yeah, that's, that's a bad for Joe. And then finally, um, Alan Travers, because this is a really cool story. He pitched in one game that was May 18th, 2012 for Detroit. Now for big baseball, sorry, uh, 2012, 100 years before that. <laughs> 1912. Okay. 1912, yeah, thanks for the catch. Uh, so baseball fans will know how this happened. Um, Ty Cobb was playing the game, okay, and somebody was heckling him in the stands, and so he ran up in the stands and started beating on this guy, and the fans yelled at him to stop because the guy he was beating had no hands. <sighs> so yeah, Ty Cobb well. beats up a guy with no hands. And so he's suspended, as you would suspect. Not a suspect. great look. No, it's, it's not too good, Ty. So he's suspended. And for some reason, all the players, um, they strike because Ty Cobb's suspended. So they refuse to play. And so Hugh Jennings, the manager at the time, um, he was going to be fined $5,000 for every game they did not play. So he went on the street and found some replacement players. Enter Alan Travers. Um, Alan was not good at baseball. Um, he never made his high school team. He was, in fact, the assistant manager of his high school baseball team and just wasn't great. And so when he's getting ready for this game, um, they offered him $25 to pitch. And that being the highest paid position, he took that, of course. And so Hugh Jennings, uh, who would also play during this game to help step in, told him not to throw any bas fastballs because, quote, he was afraid I might get killed, unquote. <laughs> <laughs> So he's facing the Major League Baseball team. How did he do? Well, he pitched the complete game, but he also gave up 26 hits, 24 runs. Only 14 oh. were earned because, you know, they were replacement fielders as well. Oh, only seven 14 walk, earned uh, runs. Yeah, only 14. It's only fine. seven walks, which isn't that bad, and one strikeout. He got the one guy. <laughs> you know, that's that's what's most important, though, because as long as you get one guy, then you can, you know, forget about Absolutely. the rest of the You did something good. Mm -hmm. And then this game was also the last game to see a player born during the Civil War, Deacon wow. McGuire. 
born during the Civil War, played oh. in 1912 or 2012, if you believe me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's that's pretty interesting. And you, you have to think of, about a lot of the guy, these guys, it's, you know, what could have been. I remember there was a player a couple years back. His name was Adam Greenberg. And he was a story because he got hit in the head on mm. the first pitch of his first MLB at bat with the Cubs, I believe. And he ended yeah. up getting a concussion and never made another MLB at bat. Uh, that is until there was this big rally uh, yeah. to this online rally to get him one at bat to kind of give him some closure uh, years later. And I want to say he got signed with the Marlins late in the season. That's... I could be wrong there, but he ended up, he, he got this, this final at bat. And I just remember watching it and thinking he had to face R.A. Dickey when R.A. Dickey was really good <laughs> in like 2012. And he threw him like he didn't even cut him any slack with like a, you know, piping him a, a, a fastball or anything. Yeah. Three straight knuckleballs. This guy was out of there. I'm like, oh, that's brutal. Yeah, luck. I, I completely forgot about that. But yeah, that was that was a good story. Uh, but yeah. I mean, if, if you're R.A. Dickey, though, that's what you got to do. You're still getting paid to get guys out. So oh, of course. I, I get of course. It. You wouldn't want you to take but, it easy on him. But that, that was a good. Yeah. I completely forgot about that. That was a good story. Yeah, it was it was it was a cool way to make the best out of a bad situation. So that I feel like that's one of those cool stories uh, that that makes baseball pretty special. Is he he was able to get that that final chance there, uh, and you know while it's a little sad that a lot of these players only did get that one chance. I do believe that it was a group of players where, you know, like Alan Travers, that's a cool story. He was just this guy off the street that got to pitch a complete game, right? Like I feel like that's that's pretty cool, at least yeah. to me. And and even if you only get one at bats, one appearance, or if you just called up and never actually get to play, you're still far better than anything I'll be yeah. at my life. To reach to that level, still an incredible, incredible um skill they have oh definitely definitely uh but to end it on a a bit of a happy note there uh that will uh start to really wrap up our conversation here tonight um so thank you again for listening uh be sure to follow us along on twitter at short hops pl uh you can follow brandon at bd riddle or myself at noah a scott six and be sure to subscribe to us on apple podcasts or spotify wherever you listen to podcasts. Uh, For Brandon Riddle, I'm Noah Scott, and this has been Short Hops and Tall Tales. See you next time.